Thanks for joining us for the Minor Tweak Major Impact podcast. We're excited to have Dr. Samantha Morris as the guest for today's episode. Samantha Morris is an assistant professor of genetics and developmental biology at Washington University in St. Louis. She established her research group in 2015, focusing on developing new single cell experimental and computational approaches to dissect mechanisms of cell fate reprogramming. Sam trained at the University of Cambridge with Magdalena Cernico Goetz investigating early mammalian fate specification. She then joined the laboratory of George Daly at Harvard Medical School, where she focused on the analysis of gene regulatory networks to dissect and engineer cell identity. Together with her group, she continues in pursuit of her goal to engineer clinically relevant cell populations, translating new insights in cell fate specification into better models of disease and development. Samantha, I would like to welcome you to the Minor Tweak Major Impact podcast. Thanks, Anita. It's really exciting to be here. Samantha, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you're currently working on? I have an interesting and maybe convoluted research background. I trained in the UK in developmental biology. So I worked on Xenopus lavis and early mouse pre-implantation development. So this has given me a lot of experience with live imaging and cell fate tracing, especially within the early mouse embryo. So I did that in Magdalena Zunishka Goetz's group. After that, I moved to George Daly's lab over at Boston Children's Hospital, and I got really interested in cell fate reprogramming. And there I was involved in developing a computational tool where we could actually measure the identity of the cells that we were producing and reprogramming in the lab. And then after being in George's lab, I started my own group in 2015 at Washington University. And that's where I really merged these backgrounds together. So I'd always loved the lineage tracing and kind of being able to follow cells with these live imaging approaches. And I also loved the reprogramming as well. And these two fields came together in terms of the single cell lineage tracing tool that we developed and, and recently uploaded to protocols.io. What do you think are some of the most challenging parts of method development? I think this comes from the tool that we developed. So one of the challenges for us in terms of trying to dissect lineage reprogramming with single cell RNA sequencing was that only one in a hundred cells will actually reprogram in a way that we're interested in. So they will successfully make it through to a completely different identity. And a few years ago, we could really only do single cell RNA sequencing on a few hundred cells at a time. So our cells of interest were you know, incredibly low numbers in these populations. We went on to adopt early uh, in setting up my lab, we adopted some of the more high throughput single cell RNA sequencing platforms. And we really wanted to use these to capture the successfully reprogramming cells and pinpoint their origins uh, from fibroblasts, basically. Um, but we found it was really difficult to take these huge single cell data sets and define these trajectories. There were computational approaches but we didn't have any way of lineage tracing in the way that I lineage trace using live imaging. So this led us to developing 
cell tagging. And this is an approach where we take lentivirus and we introduce a barcode into a cell. And as that cell divides, the barcode is inherited by the progeny of the cell, and then we can track these clonally over time. We can introduce new libraries into this, and then we can start to build lineage trees um, through the reprogramming process. And the challenge of this was really... First of all, trying to understand these new data streams. And so we were generating different types of data that we hadn't experienced handling before. So we really had to keep two sides of the lab in close connection with each other. So at first, when I started doing these cell tagging experiments, it was just me in the lab. But this was back in 2015. So I was kind of in charge of the experimental and the computational side of this project. And, but then as the lab started growing and you know we had lots of talented people really coming into this project, Projects. So Brent Biddy and Wenjin Kong, who led a lot of the analysis on the cell tagging work, and they came in and they really just made this incredible effort to try and you know, build new computational tools to understand this data. And that fed back into the experimental side of cell tagging to improve the protocol. So these two sides were really feeding into each other. And but I guess that's the most challenging part is you know, developing these new forms of data. And you know, then you have to build the tools to start to dissect that. While you were doing all these things, did you ever experience a minor tweak, major impact moment? Yes, I've been thinking a lot recently, especially with building the lab. How do we build good protocols? How do we build good methods? And it really takes me back to when I was a graduate student. And I think my first minor tweak, major impact moment was when I started to to do immunoprecipitation. So I was trying to look at protein-protein interactions in Xenopus and it didn't work for months. And my PI became very frustrated with me. He sent me to a collaborator's lab in Japan, which I think he thought this was a kind of punishment but I actually quite enjoyed being sent to Japan. And I worked directly with the collaborator that had trained him. So I kind of learned about these experiments from their source. And I quickly realized that I was missing a lot of information back in Cambridge, where I was doing my PhD at the time. Uh, we didn't have good reagents. I didn't have good protocols. And really by going to that source, I quickly realized that I hadn't pH'd my buffer properly for the immunoprecipitation. So that made a huge impact for me as a frustrated graduate student my experiments started working magically when I came back from Japan and that taught me a lot about you know using good protocols and having protocols that you can follow clearly in terms of other minor tweaks kind of moving into my early mouse development training this is something I've thought about a lot because we often spoke about people who had good hands in the lab And this was particularly important in the kinds of experiments we were doing because we were micro-injecting, dissecting, we were aggregating embryos. So, you know, they're, they're tiny, tiny cells, the one cell stage. And not everybody in the lab was suited to these kind of intricate and painstaking experiments. It was a really steep learning curve. And one of the mantras in the lab was, you know, you just keep trying, keep trying. And then one day it will magically start working. And um, so you develop that muscle memory and then your experiments become more consistent, you'll start having success. And I really loved those experiments and I missed them to an extent. But what frustrated me then and what concerns me now is how do you convey that within a protocol? How do you communicate that to people in a way that they can follow? And um, so now, you know, within my lab, I tell my trainees if they're taking on some of the trickier organoid cultures or stem cell transplants, I tell them to try and try and try. I give them feedback and I say eventually something will 
click, you'll become better at this. And they do, they always get better over time, but it's difficult to expect a high level of consistency and reproducibility with those kinds of experiments. So I think this is what's pushed me closer to molecular biology and computational biology in terms of its consistency and its precision in terms of communicating the protocols. You mentioned earlier already, but you published a cell tagging method, and that method has multiple versions. Can you tell us a little bit about that protocol? As I mentioned earlier, the cell tagging protocol is a lentivirus-based protocol where we can introduce barcodes or cell tags into cells, and then we can follow them over time because these barcodes are heritable. And we can build lineage trees and start dissecting the reprogramming process and start increasing the efficiency of this process because it's incredibly inefficient and the cells often uh, go off course and reprogram into these strange dead ends where they start re-expressing features of their original cell identity. And from the beginning, we were really keen to make cell tagging as open source as possible. So part of this was uploading the protocol onto protocols.io. And quickly with the first version, I received feedback in terms of comments with people noticing that I had the wrong adapter sequence on one of the primers. So I quickly corrected that and correcting other typos that I'd introduced into there. Another source of the changes come from the people or the early adopters of cell tagging. And um, so we pre-printed the cell tagging protocol um, on BioArchive in April 2017. And people became interested in adopting cell tagging. So we made the libraries available on AdGene. We uploaded our code and tutorials onto GitHub. And um, so we really want to be able to en enable people with this technology. And it's the early adopters that are helping us shape this protocol. Um, because in the lab, we've lived and we've breathed this cell tagging protocol for the past three years. So now it seems a lot more intuitive to us. Uh, when we see people adopting it for the first time, we can you know, really learn their experience with it, any areas that they're struggling with, anything that's not working consistently. And then with the feedback that they give to us, we go back and we try new experiments in the lab to further develop the method. And then we update that on protocols. Sometimes when multiple lab members use the same protocol in one lab, it can be difficult to keep track of who's using which protocol for which experiment and when did they use it and who's improving it and what are the different versions that you currently have. Do you have any suggestions of how to best keep track of protocols within a lab? How do you know which version was used by which person for which experiment? Yeah, this is uh, something that's been evolving as the lab grows. So we found that protocols.io is very helpful. When we have a new lab member join, we, we provide the cell tagging protocol that they can learn from, and that's always up to date. Um, other tools like Slack and GitHub, they've really encouraged a lot of communication in the lab, especially Slack. So we try to keep open channels of communication with protocols. When changes are made, we try to communicate this within the lab. And then on GitHub, we can really keep a record of how we are performing these analyses. And because it was clear to me recently that people were using their own versions of, the, of our analytical tools and we've been really making an effort to kind of bring these together and streamline them so people are using the same protocols. Um, in terms of er experimental protocols, we also use Benchling so people can easily share their protocols electronically in the lab and so that really enables communication and brings us onto the same page but it is something that I always worry about and every so often somebody will give a lab meeting and we realize they've been using a previous version of the technology or a previous 
previous version of a computational pipeline. And, and then we try to correct it at that point. Do you have any additional tips for scientists who are working on developing a new method or optimizing an existing method right now? Yes. So I think in terms of technology development, we're always building on existing protocols and technologies. So I think it's essential that you first reproduce the technology that you're trying to build on. And because I see people frequently trying to tweak protocols before they get them working as the original authors intended. So I think have some faith in the developers and give it a shot before you break it and then claim it doesn't work. And then my last question is, do you have any favorite lab tool? And if you do, why is that your favorite tool? This could be quite a controversial response. My favorite lab tool really goes back to my early development days where we used mouth pipettes to manipulate embryos and individual cells. So certainly this is something we don't do in our own lab right now for safety reasons. But 10 years ago in the, the embryology labs in the UK, it was very frequent for people to pull these very fine glass pipettes and use them as a mouth pipette to transfer very small embryos or pieces of embryos, small volumes, very small volumes of liquid. And it's just such an exquisite tool in terms of the control you can have over the cells you're trying to manipulate. It's really something I miss using just in terms of that precision. An alternative to that is the hand pipette. So you can control it with your hand rather than your mouth. I think that's certainly less frowned upon now in terms of health and safety, but I do miss the mouth pipette. Samantha, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your stories and insights on the Minor Tweak Major Impact podcast. Thanks very much. This is your host, Anita, and we look forward to being with you for our next episode. <laughs>